This is episode 73 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Water Purification for Survival and Debunking the Myth of Canned Food Expiration Dates. And because today is Wednesday, we have an interview for you with Greg Carter of The Rural Economist. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been recently posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, don't forget that we have that giveaway. It's uh, 183 serving, 31 pounds uh, legacy food mega sampler that contains over 41,000 calories. Uh, it's over at Ed That Matters. And I have a link at the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. I'll have a link on every episode uh, this week. So 71 through 76, you can link to it very easily. But uh, yeah, just come on over and uh, submit your int- entry. There's there's a bunch of different ways. So what it is is there's a couple of there's five different ways that you can enter, and two of those have uh, well each entry is weighted. So you know three of those are just you get 1.4, and two of those you get two points for. So you can get up to seven entries, and um, you know so you can go and come go check out some of the Prepper website things and and the prepper was a podcast stuff and and go you know enter that way We've made it really really easy this time around uh for anybody who wants to enter it uh and a lot of comments because that's one of the entry is if you'll just leave a comment and uh, it's going to be over at the review that i did for the legacy food mega sampler pack and uh, again like i said really easy uh to, to link over there and so just come over to the prepper website podcast.com and we'll get you over there. I'm also going to be linking to it on Prepper website uh, for t- today, uh, for this uh, for this day. Uh, hey, if you get a chance, I'd love for you to go give us a review on iTunes. That always helps out to uh, move us in the rankings in iTunes and search engine uh, rankings and different things like that. And you know, when someone's looking for a podcast and they come across one and it has some good reviews, then they're going to want to. Uh, you know, pay attention to that and look at that. So it's always uh, helpful. If you're getting some value out of this and you're listening to uh, the podcast on iTunes, really do appreciate it if you would go over there and, and do that. You can also do that in, on Stitcher if you're doing that. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it for today because I have a, a great interview with, like I said, Greg Carter of The Rural Economist. Uh, you're going to love that interview. So, But let's go ahead and do our first article and then we'll uh, do that interview. Our first article comes to us from planandprepared.com, and this one is specific to water purification for survival. I think it's a topic that we always need to hear and uh, you know be thinking about, always have you know with us. And so uh, I want to go ahead and read this one here. All right, um, when you find yourself in a survival situation, water should be one of your top priorities. The human body can only survive on an average of three days without water. However, the issue is not finding water. There are streams, rivers, ponds, lakes, oceans, and swamps all over the world. The difficult part is finding water that is safe to drink. Most of the world's fresh water is contaminated with dangerous bacteria and parasites. Drinking this makes you more dehydrated or worse, make you very ill. In the worst case scenario, drinking contaminated water can kill you. In this article, we will cover ways to purify water to make sure that you can safely drink it and avoid dehydration. We will also look at a few methods of finding fresh drinking water. Methods to obtain safe drinking water. Take water with you. How do you make sure that you can have clean water to drink in a survival situation? Take some with you. These days, I'm a big fan of hydration, so I take a bottle of water with me almost everywhere I go. Uh, just We should all be big fans of hydration, right? If I were ever to be thrust into a survival scenario, I would have at least one bottle of clean water with me. If I were to head out with my bug out bag, I may even have two or three bottles of water with me in my pack. So no matter what happens, I have clean water with me. A filter. I typically carry my water in a filter bottle. This bottle is designed to eliminate 99.9% of waterborne pathogens from any water that I collect. I can drink the water I brought with me and then dip the bottle in any other source of fresh water to filter out that bad stuff. I have tried several styles of filter and this is by far my favorite. It has a rubber mouthpiece and you can drink with the bottle upright or tipped. 
you just have to be careful to blow the water out of the filter before storing it so it does not clog up. It has a paracord lanyard and a carabiner so I can clip it on my belt and have some extra cordage. I also have a straw style filter uh, that I can keep in my pocket. It is just as useful as the bottle and is more compact, but it has some downsides. Alright, so th that one that he was referring to, just really quick, the one that he you know can clip on with the carabiner and stuff, um, there's no link to it at all. Now, there's a, a Sawyer, a mini Sawyer water filter connected to the left. Um, from what I know, I mean, I have a mini Sawyer. A Sawyer. Um, there's nothing like that on there, so I don't know which water filter he's talking about. Maybe he, they forgot to link to it on the on the article, or in the article. Uh, yeah, I'm, let me check the. I'll check the comments very closely and see if there's anything in there referring to that. But I would be um, I would be curious to see which one he's talking about uh, there. Uh, maybe it's one that I haven't seen before. All right, continuing on. Um, to drink, I have to, okay, so he's talking about the straw, so let me go back on that one. I also have a straw style filter that I can carry, in, or can keep in my pocket. It is just as useful as the bottle and is more compact, but it has some downsides. To drink, I have to get down on the ground next to the water source. Besides, it is pretty hard in the mouth. However, it has a replaceable filter so that it does not clog up. There are also gravity filters that are designed to filter large amounts of water for groups of people. These normally have large plastic bladders that are filled with water and hung from a tree branch to feed water to the filter. The, the, they can purify water for an entire family if they can stay in one place for a bit. Boiling. One of the most efficient ways to purify water is to boil it. In most survival scenarios, you will have a fire going anyway, so with a container, you can get your water boiling. If you have a metal pot, then boiling is simple enough. If your container is plastic, you must take different measures. You can suspend a plastic bottle filled with water above a fire from a tripod. If the flames just lick the bottom of the bottle, the water can keep it cool enough to prevent it from falling apart. You want to leave the lid off the top to allow the steam to escape. Another option for a plastic container is to use the hot rocks method. Heat stones in the fire and then transfer them to the container using two sticks. This boils the water without damaging the container. You only need to have the water boiling for a few minutes to make it safe to drink. Chemical purification. My backup plan is always chemical purification. There are a few different chemicals that can kill the bacteria and parasites often found in tainted water. I like to carry a vial of iodine tablets for this purpose. They make the water taste a little funny and it takes about 35 minutes before it is ready. This is also not a long-term solution. You can purify water with chemicals for a few days or even a few weeks, but you do not want to ingest chemicals longer than that. The iodine tablets are more convenient for me, but you can also take a vial of liquid iodine or liquid bleach. Just a few drops of each can purify a liter of water. Ultraviolet light. Believe it or not, you can purify water with sunlight. The ultraviolet light kills more pathogens uh, if it is given enough time to work. For this, you need a clear plastic bottle to hold the water, but it won't work if the bottle is glass or if it is tinted, the sunlight is not at full strength, and the water is cloudy. You need full direct sunlight for a minimum of six hours. Just set it out in the morning and collect your water in the evening. Proximity wells. If you are desperate for water and have no other methods to purify it, you can use the earth. Here's how it's done. Dig a hole a few feet away from the edge of your water source. As you dig down below the water level, you'll see water slowly seeping into the bottom. If it is seeping in too quickly, you need to dig a new well further away from the edge of the water source. Let the water sit for at least 30 minutes for the debris to settle at the bottom. Drink your purified water. Extracting water from plants. If you are in a humid environment, you can use the sun to remove water from plant material. How it's done. Dig a shallow pit in a sunny spot. You need a sheet of clear plastic and a container to catch your water. Fill the bottom of the hole with green plant material of any kind and leaves and leave a small space in the center of the container. Drape, a plastic, drape, drape the plastic over the pit and pin down the edges with rocks or sand to hold it in place. Place a small stone in the center just above the, the container. The sun will act on the plastic like it was a greenhouse and will heat up the plant material. The water from the plant will evaporate and then condense on the plastic. Then it will run down the plastic towards the stone and dip off into the container. 
If you leave it out all day, you should have a good drink of clean water when you come to collect. If you are careful, you can also extract clean water from plants more simply. Whether it is a cactus, a root, or just grass, you can chew the plant to extract water. You just have to make sure that the plant is not poisonous. You should also spit out the remaining plant material unless you know it will not upset your stomach. Many plants are technically edible but can upset your stomach if you eat too much. Water vines are another good option if you find yourself in the jungle. These thick vines draw water from the soil and transfer it up to the forest canopy. If you cut a section of it, you will find clean water running out. You can drink from the vines safely to help you survive. Coconuts also provide an option for water but cannot be overly used. If you drink too much, you can end up with diarrhea that causes dehydration. There are several ways to find water that is already safe to drink in the wild. Springs are always a good option because the water comes straight from the earth and has not had a chance to be contaminated, so it is usually fine to drink. However, mineral deposits can cause an issue. If the spring smells foul in any way or the water tastes funny, do not ingest it. Collecting rainwater, rainwater is an excellent choice if you are expecting rain. There are a few ways you can accomplish this. You can set out containers to just catch waterfalls or water catch waterfalls or you can use sheets of plastic to direct the water into the containers. You can dig a shallow pit to collect rainwater. Better yet, you can line the hole with a plastic sheet to ensure the water does not seep into the hole. There are spots in certain types of trees and rocks that will naturally collect rainwater. Dew. You can collect dew in the morning if you have a have some tall grass in the vicinity. As you probably know, tall grasses collect dew around sunrise every morning. To collect this moisture, you can tie a bandana or another piece of cloth around your leg, and as you walk through the grass, the cloth absorbs the moisture. You can then wring it out in your mouth for a drink of clean water. Saltwater fish. If you find yourself stranded in a life raft on the sea, your options for clean water are limited. However, if you have the ability to fish, you can extract water from the fish. Before gutting and cleaning the fish, pl place your knife just behind its head against the spine. Then use the heel of your hand to drive the blade into the spinal column. There is a reserve of clean water in the spinal column so you can tip over the fish and drink from the cut you made. I didn't really, I didn't know that one. That was, uh, that's a new one for me. As you can see, there are plenty of ways to find clean drinking water if you are forced into a survival scenario. You need some knowledge and sometimes it requires some work, but with the right plan you can stay hydrated in just about any situation. However, be aware that there are varying degrees of pur purity in water. If you can combine filtering with some of the other methods, that would be the best way to ensure that the water is as pure as possible. For example, filtering and then boiling is about as good as you can expect to do in the wild. If you take the time to clean your water before drinking it, you definitely will benefit from it. If you have other water purification tips, please leave them in the comment section below. Stay safe out there. Um, for, more, for more on storing water long, long term, please click, click this link. Alright, so there's nothing in the comment section I did go ahead and click on one of those links there, and it looks like it's uh, linking to um, see the water filters from at Ammo Land, and so it's Life Straw, and uh, there's a Mini Sawyer, and then there's an Aqua A Marine. I've never seen that one before. Uh, maybe that's the one he's talking about. Not quite sure, but anyway. Uh, if anyone knows which one he's talking about, let me know um, because he's talking about it has a rubber mouthpiece and you can drink with the bottle upright or tipped. You can just have you just have to be careful to blow the water out of the filter before storing it so it doesn't does not clog up. Um, again, I don't know which one he's talking about there. So if anyone knows, you know, let me know because uh, I'll just be curious on that one. Uh, I don't recall ever coming across one like that. And maybe I'll do a quick search on Amazon and see if I can find one like that. But uh, and I, you know, this brought up a little some memories for me because um, the the place that my dad had in the country growing up, we had we had a place growing up, and I wish we still had that place. Dad sold it uh, when we were you know we were getting older, and we just stopped going up there. Uh, but we had an artesian well up there, and that sucker ran all year long, and it was cold water. It was it tasted great. I mean, it was. Uh, it just it just came up out of the ground, man, and it just you know it ran and made a little stream, 
and uh, you know we had plans to dam it up a little bit so that we can you know have a bigger pool of water, but we just we never got around to doing that. Uh, it only froze over I think once or twice when it, the, the temperatures really dropped uh, dropped down in East Texas. And uh, but anyway, so that that really brought that memory up uh, to me. I'm glad at the end he talks a little bit about filtering uh, because he it didn't seem like he was. Uh, alluding to that up above in the article he was just talking about purification and so uh, I would always think that I mean uh, uh, there might be a time where you don't have all the materials to be able to do that but you would first want to purify uh, or filter I'm sorry uh, and get out all the contaminants and stuff uh, out or you know the big floating things right Uh, get all that out as much as possible uh, before you before you get to the point where you're filtering there was a time when uh, we went to uh, Mexico for a big family reunion, family that we didn't even, you know, we really don't ever see ever. And uh, one of my uncles down there has an orange orchard uh, outside of Monterey, Mexico. It's a couple of hours outside of Monterey, Mexico. So it was far enough for us not to be able to, uh, you know, we went to all hours of the night partying and, and having a great time. Uh, but it's too far away to where we would go back to our hotel room in Monterey. So we stayed in a little uh, dump, really, uh, outside of the, the the town where he had his uh, his orange orchard, and um, it, it was it was pretty nasty. I mean, I was really really young, but this is probably the nastiest hotel I've ever been in, and uh, it had signs on the you know in the shower and in in the the restroom uh, not to drink the water because there was amoebas in it and it was like oh my gosh so it's like you can imagine you know when you when you have water all the time it's just like it's no big deal but then when you get told you can't drink all of a sudden you get thirsty you know and you know when you're going to bed and you want that 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 drink of water and you don't have it um so anyway, in the morning when we needed to brush our teeth, I mean, this was back in the day. This is before like bottled water was really popular. Um, we we had to. Find, <laughs> this is some of y'all are going to be like, I uh, can't believe you did that. But we were looking for uh, uh, Coke. I mean, we there was Coke and there's bottled bottle Coke all over the place. And uh, so we bought a couple of bottles of Coke and uh, you know brushed our teeth with Coke. So I know it kind of defeats the purpose, but. Uh, you know, at least we were brushing our teeth. So I don't know. Uh, you know, that was back in the day, man. It was just, gosh, it was so long ago, bringing up all those kinds of memories. Um, I would always say, unless it is a situation where you are completely blown away with with not being compl- prepared at all. I mean, it's just like out of the blue, you're on an airplane and it crashed crash land somewhere and you don't have any kind of you know your edc you don't have a pack with you you don't have anything with you um you know maybe some of these things you know come into play but i would always hope that you would have something that you can use to uh you know for water you know something along those lines uh you know if you're in a in a situation where you are um might be stranded out there somewhere so something to always consider uh, I'm a big fan of the life straw just because it's just so easy to use. Uh, you could use it without any real knowledge of how to purify water. You can give it to to a little kid and they could use it. All right, so um, that's it for that one. Go check that out because there are some links there that you might want to uh, to see and um, click on. Um, so let's go ahead and go on because this is Wednesday. We go. We have an interview, and we, m- most Wednesdays we have interviews. And uh, a lot of the times, because this is a audible kind of version podcast where I'm reading, a lot of the interviews are that way as well. So when there's someone that I'd like to interview, I send them questions, they fill it, fill it out, and I get the questions back, and then I read those questions. Now, if the person that I'm interviewing has the capability of, of recording themselves, well, then, you know, I offer that and like, hey, yeah, that's great. I just don't have time to be able to do that, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis. So uh, when I contacted Greg Carter about this, about, uh, you know, the interview, he has the ability to record himself because he does he does. Uh, he's done some podcasts. I think he's still doing podcasts out there. Or if not, he has done a podcast. 
Uh, I haven't hit it recently, but he's been doing YouTube. He's been doing a lot of YouTube videos out there, good stuff that you'll want to go check out. And uh, he'll talk a little bit about that. And then he has his website, and then he's all over social media. And so, uh, you know, when you listen to Greg, you're going you're gonna to hear a guy who's just like, you love listening to him, man. You know, he's just, uh, he just is just easy, easy to get to know type of guy, the kind of guy you just want to sit and have some coffee with and, and uh, just talk a little bit about preparedness and, and self-reliance. So uh, I, I'm, I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. So without further ado, let's go ahead and take care of that. Uh, Greg Carter, The Rural Economist. Hello, this is Greg, The Rural Economist. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Todd for giving me the opportunity to be on the show today. So he sent me a list of questions and wanted me to answer them. That way you kind of get to know me better. First question was, tell us a little bit about yourself and your preparedness. Please include why you started prepping. Well, I'll be honest. Uh, what people call prepping nowadays when I was growing up and where I was growing up was just called living. I did go through a period of time where I didn't prepare as much. But my entire family now would be deemed preppers. We always kept extra food around. We always kept plenty of ammo. We always knew how to make herbal remedies and things like that. We just kind of always have done it. When I got back into prepping was right after the 2011 tornadoes where I had a business and that business was completely destroyed and pretty much everything that I owned right along with it. We struggled for a while after that and I had to get I had to get back into the swing of things. I had to to reevaluate my position because the last thing I'm going to allow to happen is for my family to go hungry. So that's how I guess I got back into preparedness. Next question is, what are your main preparedness concerns? What are you prepping for? Well, I'll be honest. I'm not prepping for any specific event. As I look out over the, the news and the landscape and everything like that, there's so many things that could happen. I, I just don't prepare for just one thing. I'm a, I'm a general preparedness kind of person. Um, if I had to pick one thing that I would believe would be most likely to occur, I would say that uh, economic collapse would be the most likely to occur. So, you know, getting out of debt, paying things down, trying to live as well below your means as is humanly possible, learning all of the skills that you can, being what now is called a renaissance man, being able to do a variety of things. I'm not really a specialist in any one area, though um, I don't remember who it was that said it. It said, be a jack of all trades, but a master of some, and that's that's kind of been my target. Next question is, tell us about your website, podcast, or YouTube channel. What is your main focus? Well, primarily, <clears throat> I've been spending most of my time on my YouTube channel lately. My YouTube channel, I cover a broad range of uh, topics, but most of which are on wild edible and herbal plants. Um, As of the time I am recording this, I have 32 videos live which cover individual plants. I also have some supplemental videos. This weekend, I'm actually recording three more videos, so that means that I will have four that will be scheduled. Each one of those new videos goes live on Saturday. I also do a a weekly kind of, I call it, I've started calling it the vlog of a country gentleman. It can cover anything under the sun. And then I do uh, homestead tips normally on Tuesdays. And then like once a month, every three weeks on a Wednesday, I do something just for fun. It's called uh, Old Sayings, What They Mean and Where They Come From. Um what's sad is a lot of those old sayings I still use. We've been steadily growing and I'm very proud of that and uh, we're, you know, I'm I'm constantly doing research, constantly trying to make it better Uh, but we've we've had a good bit of growth, a lot of good comments, have people who view my videos from all over the world, I've had comments from folks from Sweden and Canada and Ireland and the United Kingdom and everything so that's kind of cool um 
I have a blog. Now, my blog is not overly active right now because of uh, my day job, I guess you could say. Um, it covers a variety of things as well. Actually, some of those things have been shared on Prepper website in the past. Um, I cover my concerns of economic collapse. That's an older one. Um, lots of plants, lots of homestead tips, lots of general living things, um, all like that. So I have... Uh, I have quite a bit of things going there. I'm actually in the process of, of starting a new business this fall as well. So, uh, do you have any upcoming projects that listeners might be interested in? In fact, I do. Um, in the very near future, I will be having a Kickstarter uh, start off. And I, I've got a, a crazy idea, and I don't know if it'll fly, but uh, in conjunction with all my Wild Edibles videos, I want to offer individual PDFs which cover each plant in specific detail. A lot of good quality pictures, recipes, herbal remedies, everything that I can throw in there. It has, you know, the Latin name, the habitat, the origins, uh, a range map, growing conditions, what goes along well with it, and like I said, we'll also do recipes. And I like the idea. I've never seen anybody else do it because you could just simply buy the PDFs that you know are in your area. You can create your own foraging notebook or three ring binder or what have you. Now, if that does well, if we meet our goal, and like I said, it has the Kickstarter has not started yet. If it goes well, there will be a uh, full ebook that will go along with it which I'm going to do my darndest to make very affordable. And if it continues on, depending upon, you know, stretch goals, if you know anything about Kickstarter, then if it gets high enough, we will do a full print edition of the book, and we will do a full set of videos on everything with better quality than I can put on YouTube and do like, plant walks and things like that so like I said I got a lot of things on on tap right now next question is give us two or three examples of your work that you would like to share with your listeners or your, with his listeners well okay the video that went live today I'm recording this on a Saturday uh, is about spiderwort spiderwort is a, uh, a flowering plant can be in woodland edges, dry woods, waste spaces, things like that. Gets about 18 inches high, has a variety of colors depending upon the exact species. Spiderwort has been used to treat a whole myriad of medical problems in the past. And it's good to eat. Tastes a little bit like green beans. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things, for, you know, the leaves can be made into a tea which actually supposedly helps increase breast milk production for lactating moms. That's, you know what, that's something you want to put in that data bank. Because if the world goes to pot, you're going to want to be able to look at the stuff around you and create remedies for whatever's happening. And if the world goes to pot, you know what, babies are still going to be born and women are still going to have problems. So, that's a good one. Um, let's see. Another one. We'll talk about wood sorrel. Wood sorrel is actually the first plant that I ever learned that was edible. My grandfather walked out through the yard and he said, You see this boy? Eat it. And uh, me being me, I, I did. It's got a, a sour flavor. In fact, it's one of its common names is called uh, sour grass. But it's one of the highest things of vitamin C in the southeastern United States. And there's actually several varieties of it which cover most of the U.S. So it's one of those things that when you see it, once you learn it, once you realize what it is, you never forget it. You can make a lemonade out of it. You can make all kinds of things out of it. I've actually used it and stuffed it on the inside of fish that I've caught that I've cooked over an open fire. Um, it's just one of those things that it's good to know. It's good to have in your databank. Let's see, uh, third example, let me think, I don't know right now, uh, well I talked about the blog, there's actually an extensive uh, two-part post on 
uh, global economic collapse could it happen? It's it's a little bit of aged, and some of the information is a little out of date, but all of it still applies. So there we go. There's three. Next question. What would I like to say to the Prepper website podcast listeners? Hmm, that's pretty good. Don't allow yourself to be gripped by fear. Be prepared, not fearful. There's a difference. When I go out, no matter where I'm going, I'm always looking at everything. I'm always paying attention to everything. Well, that can be applied to everything. You know, I go through every morning when I get to work or when I log onto the computer or everything, the first thing I do is I go through the news. Now, I don't watch any television news at all because most of those guys are nuts. But I go through it all and I have a really high bullcrap filter because every one of them have a have an agenda to push. But filter the information you get. Even if you're getting information from me, you know, watch it, read it, whatever you do. But then, you know, if it's something that doesn't jive with you 100%, do your own research. It's not going to hurt my feelings at all, and I'm sure it's not going to hurt Todd's. Uh, we That's just part of the deal is of being a responsible adult, you know. Um, it is my job to protect my wife and my children. And the best way I know how to do that is to be as prepared as possible, but to never allow fear to grip me. So, where can people find me? This is the last question. I don't know how long I've been ramming. Um, best place is going to be YouTube. YouTube.com slash Rural Economist, or you can just search for my name, G-R-E-G-G-C-A-R-T-E-R, that's Greg Carter, and I'll pop up. I think I've got 93 videos live right now. Like I said, a myriad of topics. Um, You can check out The Rural Economist on Facebook. Um, Let's see. You can search for my name on uh, G+. Uh, you can search for Rural Economist on Twitter. Oh, dear Lord, I've got all of those things. But uh big one right now, especially with my activity level and everything that's going on, is going to be YouTube. Like I said, I, I, I try my darndest not to put out any garbage. Um, some of my uh, Thursday videos, some folks claims a little preachy, but that's all right. It's my opinion, and you don't have to share it. The Saturday videos, though, the wild edibles, they, they right now, they're the cat's meow. The people are, are really appreciating those. And I would like to thank the community. I'd like to thank Todd for the opportunity. Um, let's see. I have been on here a sum total of about 12 and a half minutes or so. So, my catchphrase on the YouTube channel is bringing rural back. The reason I do that is because rural ways are sustainable and prepared ways. There was nobody that lived in a rural farming community that didn't have enough food to make it through the winter into the next harvest. That should be just a given. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to hear from you. Stop by uh, our YouTube channel, Facebook, whatever. Give us a shout out. I'd love to hear from you. Step by step, we're bringing Rural back. Thank you, Todd. Bye. All right. Thanks, Greg. I, I hope you enjoy that one. I mean, just just sit, like like I said, you know, just sitting and listening to him. Uh, you know, he's like, man, you want him to talk a little bit more and keep going. Uh, I think wild edibles are it's just something that is so interesting to me and hopefully it is to you because it's like there are so many things out there in nature that you can eat that are just lost to everyone you know uh, and people people wind up going hungry and dying and stuff and there's things out there that you can eat and it, and it looks like weeds but it's edible it would keep you you know it will sustain you 
And so I think that's important. So I like uh, I like it when he's talking about doing his videos and going into that. His Kickstarter, man, I Greg, if you're listening to this, you got to let us know when you do the Kickstarter so that we can uh, you know let people know because that's something that I think I would want to get behind. I definitely would like to have some PDF copies of uh, of stuff. You know, I've uh, I've attended uh, a forging class here in the Houston area with uh, uh, Meriwether. And he has a, a website called ForgingTexas.com. I've linked to it on Prepper website, and then uh, every once in a while, I've done you know other little videos and stuff like that. But if you scroll all the way down, I think in the miscellaneous category, you can find that Forging Texas. But there's been times, uh, like I said, I took a class with him at the Houston Arboreum, and uh, there's been times where we were up at my dad's place, and I would find. A plant that was just kind of like out of the you know the ordinary or whatever. I take a picture of it and send it to him. Like, hey, you know, can you identify this for me? And and um, it's always been very very helpful. But uh, wanna wanna know what uh, we have up there as well, you know. But so it's it's good. So when when Greg, you get that that Kickstarter going, man, and those PDFs with all that information you're talking about, let us know because I know that there's a lot of preppers who would want to get behind that because uh, we want to know about what's out there and uh, those wild edibles. Uh, I think that's going to be, that's that's a game changer, right? That's uh, force multipliers, having that kind of knowledge uh, when you're out there in the wild. So thanks so much for the interview. Guys, uh, I'm going to be linking to all of his social media accounts, to his website, to his YouTube channel, uh, to Facebook. Uh, go and you know check out Greg. And I'm also... Uh, I'm also linking to the two economic uh, articles that he was talking about. Uh, it's easy to find those videos on his on his YouTube channel, but uh, that he that he mentions. But those economic uh, articles, I mean, I searched for those and I found those. So I'm linking to those on uh, episode 73 of the Prepper Website podcast. All right, all right. So let's go ahead and go on to our last article of the podcast. This comes to us from SurvivalBlog.com. And uh, this is debunking the myth of canned food expiration dates. It's one of those that we always hear. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I have done so many articles or read so many articles about this. But it's so programmed into my head to when I'm looking at a can and I'm looking at the expiration date, I still have to fight that, man. And so I don't, I don't know if there's some of you that are out there that still fight that. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't so hard for me to fight the fish antibiotic thing, but I see that all the time when on people that post on forums or on Facebook, and it's like, you know, can you take fish antibiotics? I'm like, man, there's been tons of articles on that, you know, on fish antibiotics that they're the same exact thing as real antibiotics, but it's hard for people to get their mind to wrap around the fact that fish antibiotics are the same antibiotics that humans take. And so there's some things it's just, it's hard to do. But uh, I think this is important. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you've never heard this before, maybe you're new to the uh, the Prepper website podcast or you're new to preparedness, um, really try to get, you know, get a hold of this. And then maybe there might be someone out there who, um, who you want to share this with and you can share the podcast with them or you know send them over to episode 73 and tell them hey go check out that article in the uh, in the mentioned you know in the episode articles about debunking uh, canned food expiration dates because it winds up saving you a lot of money you know uh, and maybe one day we'll do a canned or not a can, but a expiration dates on medicine. I think we've already done that already. I gotta go back. Gotta go back in the archives and check that out. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this one. Uh, debunking the myth of canned food expiration dates. Uh, coming to us from survivalblog.com. If you're not yet a prepper, you likely have at least some canned food goods on your shelf with an expiration date on them. Perhaps you have even taken up canning your own food. Either way, canned goods are a common staple. That is the case for good reason. However, do you really know the truth about canned food shelf life? I'm surprised by how many people seem to have a deep trust of those magical dates on canned foods, but what are those dates anyway? What do they mean? Here, let's debunk some of the myths that surround these dates on canned foods. Commercial canned foods are generally good far beyond the dates stated. And, get this, in almost all cases, the dates stated on foods aren't expiration dates anyway. Rather, they are used by dates. Uh, 
The used-by dates on cans and packages serve to protect the reputation of the food. They have nothing to do with food safety, as the U.S. Department of Agriculture's website clearly states. Used-by dates refer to best quality and are not safety dates. Even if the date expires during home storage, a product should be safe, wholesome, and of good quality if handled properly, end quote. Actually, except for infant formula, product dating is not even required by federal regulations. While they may not be required, generally you will see manufacturers use one of these, one, one of these types of dates on products. None of these is an expiration date. The dates used are a sell-by date, which simply tells the store how long to display the products for sale. A best-if-used-by date is what the manufacturer recommends for best flavor or quality. It is not a purchase or safety date. A used-by date is the last date recommended for the use of the product while at peak quality. The manufacturer of the product is, determines the date. Of course, manufacturers have an incentive for consumers to purchase more food, so the temptation is there for them to recommend short-term dates to encourage more frequent purchases. Okay, you're probably wondering how long canned food remains safe, am I right? As it turns out, the answer is that canned foods are safe a lot longer than you think. Numerous studies show that foods are viable long after they were canned or after the quote-unquote expiration or stamp date. For instance, a fascinating study published in the Journal of Food Science reported on canned food that was analyzed from the steamboat Bertrand, which sank over 100 years before in 1865. The findings? National Food Processors Association chemists detected no microbial growth. Furthermore, they determined that the foods were as safe to eat as when they had been canned over 100 years earlier. The chemist added that while significant amounts of vitamin C and A were lost, protein levels remained high and all calcium values were comparable to today's products. A prepper's remedy for the loss of vitamin is, of course, to simply store and rotate multivitamins in his prepping supplies. That's what I do. Truthfully, these studies don't surprise me. Proper canning creates a vacuum that prevents microorganisms and air from entering the jar. It is these that would otherwise contaminate the contents. As long as the seal is good, the contents should be good, which is why I'm comfortable eating a jar of stew from my pantry even if I canned it 20 years before. I'm like, why are you waiting 20 years to eat a can of canned stew? That's, or that's, anyway. Alright, continuing, continuing on. We have two all-American pressure canners and use them to can all sorts of meats, stews, and vegetables. They are probably my most valued prepping item. How to determine canned food safety? I pay no attention to those expiration dates. Instead, I look closely to ensure the seal hasn't been compromised. Evidently, authorities agree with this view. In a food safety fact sheet, Utah State University food safety specialist Brian Numer wrote, quote, For emergency storage, canned foods in metal or jars will remain safe to consume as long as the seal has not been broken, end quote. In yet another study, NFPA chemists also analyzed a 40-year-old can of corn found in the basement of a home in California. Again, the canning process had kept the corn safe from contaminants and from much nutrient loss. In addition, the chemist said the kernels looked and smelled like recently canned corn. So as th these scientific analyses show, canned foods are, are an excellent option for preppers. If all that's true, when would you ever discard a can of food? It is unlikely that you'll ever be forced with the decision of whether or not to open a can that is in fact 40 years old. However, if it has been several years and you come across a can that got lost in the pantry, it should be fine to eat if its seals hasn't been compromised, just as the above studies attest. But what if the can is dented? Just as many people have tremendous belief in expiration dates, they also were led to believe that dented cans should be avoided or even discarded. It turns out that's not usually the case. The primary concern over dented cans is the very unlikely but remotely possi possible risk of botulism contamination. We will take a closer look at botulism in a bit, so if people are leery of dents due to the risk of botulism contamination, when are dents to be considered a problem? While very small dents almost always present no problem, the most important issue is the location of the dent. A can with a sharp dent on either the top or side seam should probably be discarded because seam dents can, 
can't allow the introduction of sorry because seam dents can allow the introduction of harmful bacteria. The good news is that most dents occur harmlessly on the side. Unattractive? Yes. But unsafe? No. Even the USDA agrees with the point when they say, quote, If a can containing food has a small dent but is otherwise in good shape, the food should be safe to eat. Discard deeply dented cans. A deep dent is one that you can lay your finger into. Deep dents often have sharp points. A sharp dent on either the top or side seam can damage the seam and allow bacteria to enter the can. Discard any can with a deep dent on any seam. End quote. Botulism can be a deadly illness and is caused by various strains of the Colistridium bacterium. The bacteria thrive in low oxygen environments such as those in canned food and produce a neurotoxin that can cause loss of muscle control. If left untreated, the illness can spread throughout the body, ultimately reacting or reaching the respiratory system. Clearly, botulism is to be avoided at all costs. But what are the odds that you can get botulism from canned food? I mean, do you know anyone who contracted botulism from commercially canned food? Anyone? According to the CDC, an average of only 145 cases of botulism are reported in the U.S. each year. Of that, only 15% are the result of foodborne bacteria. Most botulism cases, 65%, are infant botulism, which is sometimes caused by feeding honey to infants. So, there are roughly 21 cases of foodborne botulism in the U.S. each year. 21 out of over 300 million people, all of whom eat. As you can see, botulism is very, very rare. You should worry far more about dropping the canned food and breaking your toe. Even in the very remote case of about with botulism, it certainly doesn't mean death. Botulism can be treated at a hospital with antitoxins. In fact, in the past 50 years, the fatality rate from botulism has dropped from 50 to 3 to 5 percent. So out of 21 cases, a 3% fatality rate would mean that one American may die roughly every two years from foodborne botulism. And one person every two years is about what we find. Just this past week, a 37-year-old man from California died reportedly from eating nacho cheese contaminated with botulism. And two years ago, a 54-year-old person died in Ohio at an April 2015 church potluck dinner. The likely culprit in that botulism outbreak that sickened more than 20 was potato salad made from home canned potatoes. And therein lies the problem with most cases of botulism. While there are on average 21 foodborne cases of botulism per year, many are the result of improper home canning. Now I don't know for certain how the potatoes in that instance were canned, but most likely not with a pressure canner, such as an All-American 921 of course. Botulism is sometimes to be aware of, but there are many more threats in your life worthy of your attention, like not having enough food stored at all. Whether you can't food yourself or buy from the store, all vegetables, including potatoes, all meats, etc., are low-acid foods. Low-acid foods must be canned in a pressure canner rather than a water bath canner. However, many old-timers canned those foods in water bath canners and got away with it. You may tell their children, most of whom are rapidly becoming old-timers themselves, that the foods must be pressure canned, and they will likely retort, well, my mother always did it this way, so I will too. I use a pressure canner for pretty much everything other than jams and jellies. This means we'd be comfortable eating our cans of homemade chili 20 years from now. I'm just saying, if I got a can of chili, it's not lasting 20 years. Especially homemade chili is not lasting 20 years. Uh, Continuing on, of course, botulism is sometimes or something to be aware of, but there are many more threats in your life worthy of your attention. Again, like not having food stored at all. Other signs that you should check to ensure your canned foods are safe include make sure the can is not bulging. This occurs when harmful bacteria such as what causes botulism enters and creates gas. If the can has rust near the seams, inspect carefully, but rust or dents do not affect the contents of the can as long as the can does not leak. If the can is leaking, however, or if the ends are bulged, the food should not be used. Be very cautious if the can spurts liquid or foam when open. This is not a good sign. 
Finally, trust your senses. If the food is discolored, moldy, or smells bad, or simply doesn't smell as it should, can fruit that doesn't smell fruity, then toss it. It's not worth the risk. What have we learned? There are no expiration dates, nor are they required. Rather, there are suggested dates by the manufacturer of when to use the food by. And the manufacturers want you to think the food won't last long, so you'll buy more. Canning is a very safe process that protects the food for a long time, over 100 years if necessary. That's a fact. Botulism is a concern, but rarely a legitimate threat. Just use your eyes and nose to assess the food. If the can is bulging, as in the picture above, by all means dispose of it. It's definitely not worth the risk, but if it merely has a shallow dent and the seam hasn't been compromised, it will likely pass the eyes and nose test. It's best, in my view, if you can, if you can the food yourself for the simple reason that you don't have to worry about dents. Glass jars don't dent. If the seal on the top of the jar is good, the food is good. Another reason it's best to can your own food is that you don't have to worry about your canning jars being lined with bisphenol A or BPA. As many canned foods are, just as water bottles are. The BPA has been linked to a rapid rise in blood pressure, and chronic exposure has been associated with heart disease. So get yourself a well-made pressure canner or borrow one from a friend. If you can't grow food yourself, just buy some produce and meats from a local farmer and start canning your own food. You won't have to worry about BPA. You'll know what's in it when it was canned, and you'll learn a lifelong self-sufficiency skill. All right, there are a lot of links in here that you can link to uh, that you want to go check out. Um, again, I recently uh, partnered with uh, Melissa K. Norris on uh, her, you know, she provided a free webinar on home canning. And at the end of that webinar, she did, uh, you know, she offered her home canning course. So if this is something like after listening to this article, something that you want to do, I'm going to link to the webinar. Um, uh, on episode 73 of the Prepper Website podcast, uh, and so you can go link to that, and uh, it's you know home canning with food experts or food storage with food experts, and you can listen to Melissa's uh, canning uh, webinar, uh, and then you can go check out her course, and uh, you might find that it's very very much worth it. You'll recoup the cost of the course in no time uh, as you can your own foods as you you know as you can when you find cells and things like that and uh, something that you definitely want to do and consider. So go check out these articles at survival blog and planandprepared.com and go over to uh, Greg Carter's YouTube channel and go check him out his social media stuff and you know when you do let him know that you heard him on the Prepper website podcast. Uh, I know he'll uh, he'll enjoy that. So, uh, hey, thanks so much for listening. If you get a chance, we'd love for you to share out our episode uh, today, episode 73. Hey, with that, choose to live a, most, a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.